Hello, and welcome to Enzo's Theatre of the World. I'm your host, Enzo Cunanan. And I'm Ethan. Today, we are going to be talking about the life and death of Henry VIII's infamous second wife, Anne Boleyn. So, just a quick disclosure before we get into this. Uh, Anne is and has been my favorite wife, but I'll really try to be fair to her and to all of the wives, including Catherine of Aragon and Jane Seymour, whose stories touch on her. And lots of this narrative is disputed due to unreliable sources, but I've really tried to do my best. So this is just one version of how it could have gone. Uh, Lots of these facts aren't in dispute, but a lot of them are disputed. So just keep that in mind. So Anne Boleyn was the daughter of Sir Thomas Boleyn and Lady Elizabeth Howard. She was born sometime between 1501 and 1507. Again, a disputed fact there. Probably earlier, though, and she was probably born at Blickling Hall in Kent. Now, she had an elder sister, Mary, and a younger brother, George. And when she was fi- uh, when she was 12 years old, she was sent to the court of Margaret of Austria in Burgundy, which is the modern-day Netherlands. And if you recall from the last episode, I briefly mentioned Margaret was this former sister-in-law of Catherine of Aragon. And she, and she stayed there for a year. And Margaret was very taken by the young Anne, and she said, I find her so bright and pleasant for her young age that I'm more beholden to you for sending her to me than you are to me. So that was written to Anne's dad, Thomas. And it was really uh, common at this time to sort of send uh, noble girls into other, into like houses as like sort of finishing schools to like learn courtly arts and in Anne's case, French and music and dancing and just learn how to be a good courtier because she was being uh, raised for a career at court. Uh, and... However, Anne would only stay there for a year because uh, in 1514, she would join the train of Henry VIII's younger sister, Mary. Yeah, so how did they really, like, select courtiers? Uh, you just went to court and you waited for a position there. So there were a lot of hangers on, which they tried to get rid of. Uh, but Anne was being groomed to be, and I, that's, I don't like that word, but she was being groomed to be a lady-in-waiting to Queen Catherine or, or some other late lady or make a good marriage. And so... As I said, she accompanied Henry's sister Mary to France in 1514, and when she was no longer queen because her husband died, she remained in the service of the new queen, Claude, who was a very pious woman who had them do needlework and stuff, and it was here that she uh, really perfected her French and just her charm, and she was said to be very um, more like a French woman born than like a native English woman at this time. And so... In 1520, and we're skipping over a lot of her teenage years, but that's because she just isn't that mentioned. And in 1520, Anne is present at the Field of the Cloth of Gold Summit between England and France, where she seems to have served as a translator of sorts. Uh, But in 1521, Anne would return to England because her father Thomas proposed a marriage to a distant cousin, James Butler, who to sort out some obscure Irish inheritance thing. Uh, But, and... Anne would make her debut at the English court the next year, in 1522, March 4, at a masquerade known as the Chateau Vert, where she, along with seven other noble ladies, dressed all in white satin with gold, uh, portrayed the virtues, and they were defending this castle, and the men would besiege them, and they would take them, and then it would be like a courtly mask sort of thing. Did they rehearse at all? Probably. I... Like, Probably. Do, you, do they just assign you your roles and then, like, all right. I don't think it was it. speaking, to be fair. I think it was mostly Yeah, dancing. but you have to know the choreography. Yeah, right? that's true, probably. So. so, it was around this time, or maybe a year later, that Anne seems to have fallen in love with one of the gentlemen waiting on Cardinal Wolsey, Henry Percy, the son of the current Duke of Northumberland. 
And Henry was already engaged to, Percy was already engaged to uh, this woman named Mary Talbot, but Anne and Percy seemed to have hit it off, and soon they uh, seemed to have actually fallen in love, and it's possible they got pre-contracted or promised to marry. Maybe it was just an informal agreement or whatever, but Thomas Boleyn or and Thomas Wool and Cardinal Wolsey seem to have both found out about this, and they didn't like it for their own because it would have interfered with the James Butler plan. And so, Cardinal Wolsey broke the the engagement. He really told Percy off. He was like, "What are you doing with this foolish girl, Anne Boleyn?" And he, he and uh, Anne was sent back home to Hever Castle from court in disgrace. And she uh, uh, supposedly was very angry with the cardinal for this. Uh, and a few years pass, and Anne. Uh, came back to court. Now, she had been involved with a poet named Thomas Wyatt, who had who lived near her family at Hever, and he had apparently wanted her to become his mistress, but she refused because he was already married, and unlike Henry later on, he could not divorce his wife. So Thomas was just left to, and there's a lot of Thomases in this, was left to just mope and write poetry about her. So I feel Burnett. like being the mistress of a poet is kind yeah, of... Like, it's, not, not it's not like a court poet, just a poet. Yeah, so we don't know at what time Henry noticed her, or, but it's certainly not instant like in the Tudors, and it seems to have been sometime mid-1526 that he first noticed her. And he began pursuing her and sending her love letters, and Anne actually did not encourage this. She uh, went back to Hever because she was she seems to have been somewhat overwhelmed, and also she had learned from the example of her sister Mary, who by this time, at some point in the past, had slept with Henry. Now, we don't know whether this was a one-off thing, whether it was a continued relationship. We only know about this because Henry admits to it later on in a uh, letter to the Pope being like, can I please marry my mistress's sister? So we know that Mary slept with him. Uh, so Henry sends her a bunch of love letters, and I'm just going to read one of them because it's really passionate and I feel it uh, shows what he was feeling. On turning over in my mind the contents of your last letters, I have put myself into a great agony, not knowing how to interpret them, whether to my disadvantage or to my advantage, beseeching you earnestly to let me know expressly your whole mind as to the love between us two. It is absolutely necessary for me to obtain this answer, having been for above a whole year stricken with the dart of love, and not sure whether I shall fail of finding a place in your heart and affection, which last point has prevented me from some time past for calling you my mistress." So he wants her to become his mistress, and Anne is very much like, no. She, uh, she's very adamant that she would only give herself up uh, to, a merit to her husband. And she says, according to one source, your wife I cannot be, your mistress I will not be. So she's very adamant, I'm going to preserve my virginity. But Henry doesn't back down because he hasn't been having a son with Catherine of Aragon. So he has already been thinking about divorcing her for some time now. And now Anne Boleyn comes in the picture, who really captured his heart, I think. And she, he says, and he, and this combines to say, okay, I'm going to divorce Catherine, which I was already planning to do, so I can marry Anne Boleyn. That's the second piece. Uh, and while he's planning, and he's like, Cardinal Wolsey, I want you to get a divorce from Catherine, me a divorce from Catherine. As I mentioned, and a lot of this was already in the Catherine episode, so just go back to that if you want more details on the great matter. But basically, the Pope's been kidnapped by Emperor Charles V, Catherine's nephew, uh, and Anne around this time ha is, seems to have been assured by Henry, okay, yeah, it'll be a quick, it'll be a quick, uh, thing because we can just get the Pope to agree to the divorce because Popes have always agreed to divorces with Kings and Anne accepts his proposal. In fact, she sent him a jewel of a lo sh ship with a lone woman on board and a diamond pendant, which, which is like, she's the woman 
and Henry's her ship through the storm of the divorce. It's a very metaphorical thing. It's very clever. Uh, Anne was noted for being clever. So, like, um, like you said, the Pope would normally grant, like, uh, a divorce like this. So, was it really only because he was being held hostage? Uh, I th Or was there something else involved? It was it? also partly because Hen the way Henry went about it was trying to deny the Pope had any authority whatsoever to, uh, marry a brother- him to his brother's widow and dispense with, uh, that part of canon law. It's very complicated, but basically he was impinging on the Pope's authority, and had he just gone for yeah. a nitpickier approach, he would have probably been yeah, I don't it. really get that. I- if He I was, was really convinced of his own authority. If I was trying to get a divorce really badly, I would try to get on the guy who's in charge of letting me do it. I would want to get on his good graces. I wouldn't want to- Tell him that he doesn't have authority over my marriage or something like that. Yeah, Henry was not very good at this sort of play, and I'm like, sorry it's to any- not stupid as much as he is, like, Hard-headed, hard very self-righteous. I'm so sorry to any Henry VIII fans listening out there, but, like, the man executed two of his There own, are much so... better English kings to be fans of. Why didn't you stand Henry VII, you know? What about in that Christmas song, uh, King Wenceslas? That's of Bohemia. Anyway. Uh, so, it, it's an English song. So, Henry actually sent 17 love letters, in, 18 love letters in total to Anne Boleyn. And as a fun fact, they're all at the Vatican now, somehow. We don't know how. It was probably used as evidence in the divorce trial. Like, hey, look, he's actually just horny for Anne Boleyn, but... You know, that's a common misconception. People are like, he he broke England from the church because he wanted to shag Anne Boleyn. Like, n no, no, he didn't need an heir. So... If he wa just wanted to shag her, he could just have a mistress. Yeah, he didn't... Right? Yeah, in yeah that's what the mistress is for. Yeah, in 1528, so the next year, uh, the sweating sickness broke out. And... Anne retreated to Hever Castle, and actually Henry left her. He was he was very a, a big germaphobe, and so he left her. And Anne actually was quarantined at Hever Castle, kind of like right now, except she did get sick, and it looked like she was going to die. And Henry sent his second his 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 best doctor to her, and he said, "I would willingly bear half your illness to make you better." Not not all of it. Henry was a big germaphobe. He just meant half. He, he meant that half. So, fortunately, Anne survived. But unfortunately, Anne's uh, sister, Mary's husband, William Carey, uh, died of the sweating sickness. And, uh, so, and, and so this kind of put a dent in her plans because she was go just as an interesting side note, she did want to appoint her sister-in-law, Eleanor Carey, as, like, the abbess of Wilton Abbey because she would be, like, the head nun of this convent. And then it turned out she had had, like... She had been sleeping with two sundry priests, according to Henry, and was currently the mistress of another dude. So Anne was like, well, Drat, I can't do that now. Oh, you can just keep it a secret. Well, on the, on, on, under wraps. And so I do think it's interesting because Anne is clearly flexing her power to, like, intercede and, like, appoint people to positions. Like, well, influence Henry to appoint people to positions. And so... Catherine, meanwhile, at this time, so Anne, Henry, and Catherine are all living under the same roof because Anne is not technically queen, but more and more people are flocking to her, and Catherine is still the queen, but Henry doesn't like her and wants her to get rid of her, so it's kind of a weird menage a trois, and there's a fun story, which probably isn't true, where Anne and, and Catherine are playing cards, and Anne draws a queen, and Catherine's like, my lady Anne, you have good hap to stop at a king, for it seems you have all but nothing, or nothing. And so, you know, like, maybe that's a bit on the nose. I don't, I'm not entirely... I feel like they made that after the fact to be clever. Well, no, but it's, it seems, but, but otherwise, people don't go... Catherine was very adept at displaying herself as sort of the wronged victim in this, which she was to a great degree. But she, 
you know, sort of emphasize this by never being mad at Anne in public. She would always, you know, be gracious to her through sort of gritted teeth, you know, never bring up, oh, you know, who is this shameless harlot? Why are you? No, she never said that to Henry. She would, uh, in public, or really it seems in private, she would just keep on refusing to grant that divorce. And so, so the great matter goes on and on. And Cardinal Wolsey, Anne's old enemy, who she's been forced to work with because Henry's like, oh, sweetheart, he's the only one who can get us a, div- a divorce. And and Anne, he's been running the government for the past, like, 15 years. And Anne's like, okay, sure. But Wolsey has been going on for, like, two years now, and that divorce is no closer. And Anne is now 28, and she's she's getting up there. She's she's not married yet. She's she's still a virgin, as far as we know. And And you know, her sister Mary got married, her elder sister Mary got married at, like, 20, so, so, like, she's, like, running out of time here, as far as she's concerned, and this really bursts to a head in November 1529, November 30, 1529, when Henry dines with Catherine to try and persuade her to to agree to the annulment, and Catherine's like, no, and so Henry storms off in a huff, and he goes to Anne seeking some comfort, and when he tells her what happened, she says, did I not tell you that whenever you fought with the queen, she was sure to have the upper hand? I see that some fine morning you will succumb to her reasoning that you will cast me off. I have been waiting long and might, and might in the meanwhile have contracted some advantageous marriage, out of which I might have had children, which is the greatest consolation in this world. But alas, farewell to my time and youth, spent to no purpose at all. And Boy, she really got mad at him, huh? Yeah, she was not uh, pleased with this. How long has this been going on since, like, he told her it would be quick? Like, a two, year? Two years. Oh. And so, he, yeah, so, yeah, the Kanye album. And so, and so, and so Anne, at this point, Anne actually the following year had received a copy of William Tyndale's Obedience of a Christian Man, and she had shown it to Henry, and Henry said, by God, this is a book for me and for all kings to read, because it said that rulers are accountable to God alone and not to the Pope, and so therefore the whole separate, traditional separate, the doctrine of the, the church and the state being separate and them having their own spheres, no, the king is supreme over all of that. And Anne showed it to Henry. She probably, and I, I'll go into her faith later, but she probably believed in this, but also it didn't hurt that, you know, it would you know, support the divorce cause. Unfortunately, William Tyndale went on to say that Catherine was the true queen and that Henry should not marry Anne, which yeah. made Henry very I mean, mad. I mean, I, I, regardless of what, of what I thought, I'd, I'd show it to him if it meant that we could move it along a little bit. It's going to happen anyway. Yeah. So in July of 1529, after Catherine's infamous speech where she basically went down on her knees before Henry and was like, I've been a good wife to you. Why are you doing this? Uh, no Cardinal Campeggio, the papal legate, called a summer recess and revoked the trial back to Rome, which meant that it was really going to be dragging on with no end in sight now. And a few months later, Anne and her fa- father and her and her friends managed to convince Henry that Cardinal Wolsey was guilty of something known as premanuri, which is being an agent of the foreign of a foreign power aka the pope which is kind of cheating there but come on he's a cardinal that's yeah that's not fair henry was convinced though of wolsey's guilt i guess and he stripped wolsey of all of his titles of office ostensibly due to this but really because he couldn't get a divorce and wolsey was like oh i'm so sorry and henry's like okay fine you can retire to live up in the north and sir thomas more was appointed lord chancellor to replace him and more didn't like the divorce and so he's like can i please is not do this and henry's like i promise you won't have to speak out uh, like 
you won't have to speak in favor of the divorce. You have you your conscience. Have do, you just have to do paperwork. Yeah. And so and so late in December 1529, Anne's father, Sir Thomas Bowling, who had been who had been up until recently the Earl the uh Viscount Rochford, he is promoted to Earl of Wiltshire. And um so that's important. And so Anne's brother George is now Lord Rochford, which is how we'll refer to him from now on. Uh, titles are weird and confusing, I know, I'm sorry. Um, in January in January 1530, so that's the next year, Henry decides on a new tactic, which doesn't actually work for reasons I'll get to very shortly, but he tries to get, he gets Anne's chap, family chaplain, Thomas Cranmer, to go to the universities of Italy and Europe and whatnot, and other, elsewhere in Europe, and try to get them to get favorable rulings on the divorce uh, this doesn't work because despite all the money they throw at them, not a lot of them do favor Henry in the divorce. He really tried to run campaign ads in in the in Italy. Yeah, so it didn't quite work. And Anne, by the way, is getting really powerful at this time. And Catherine, you know, she's, I mean, she she, she she's trying, but Anne's growing in power. And so it's around this time that, but like, she's still technically the queen, which is why Anne gets really mad when she finds out that. Catherine's still making Henry's undershirts because that she sews them. That's a traditional queenly thing to do, and it, it's a very intimate thing because the undershirt is, like, obviously... It's, under, it, it's, yeah, it's underwear. It's basically underwear for your shirt. Yeah, so, like, it's very it's very intimate. And Anne berates the messenger, She's and she... Uh, and Henry is like, oh, honey, I, I asked him to do that. And she's like, well, why would you do that, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. And so, and so later she hires, her, and so she's like, I'm going to be doing your shirts for now on. And Henry's like, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, funnily enough, Anne later hires her own shirt maker, which suggests that... Because uh, she didn't care all that much, huh? I, I, think, I think she felt she had more important things to do, like politically, which, I mean, that's a girl boss move right there, but also, you know, Mapes suggests you know, she, she, she may have she been a She was really bit... more concerned with the power than actually making his dress shirts. She was not content to sit in the background like Catherine was and be a, one of the, uh, like, the docile, queenly, traditional queenly intercessor figure. Uh, so it seems to have been, yeah, and also at the same time in 1530, it was probably at this time that Anne found a book. And it was a book with drawings in it. And there were three uh, drawings. One of them was a drawing of a king with the letter H. Uh, there was a drawing of a queen with the letter K. And there was a drawing of a headless woman with the letter A. And so Anne called to her maid and said, Come hither, Nan. See here a book of prophecy. This is the king. This is the queen, mourning, weeping, and wringing her hands. And this is myself with my head cut off. Her late maid answered, If I thought it were true, though Henry the king were an emperor, I would not myself marry him with that condition, a.k.a. being headless. And Anne said, Yes, I think the book of Bobble, yet for the hope I have that the realm might be happy by my issue, I am resolved to have him, whatsoever might become of me. And you might, you know, picture, like, dun-dun-dun music. I feel like this, it, it, it's too good of a setup, it feels fake. It, no, well, I think the sentiment is there because she said to the Venetian ambassador when she did become queen that God had inspired his majesty to marry her, and so it seems yeah, that Yeah, but Anne, like, an H, an A, and a K, and then... We don't know who put this book there. Uh, yeah, how old was it? Imagine it was just written, like, the day before, and you snuck it into, like, a... <laughs> That's what the Tudors does. Of the, an tu older book. the Tudors... Right, like, you can't guess all of it. 
Well, you might, because they all have, they all, they really seem to like the Anne names and the Thomas names and the Well, Mary no, I, I, this is, it's not pretending to be an old book. It's, it's old prophecies, but uh, like, yeah. but like, who's to say, like, it's not handwritten. So, yeah. Gr- granted, the ink would just, probably, yeah, but still. It, they just she's, to let it dry like a day. Yeah. So, in that same year, so in 15, so, and I keep saying in that same year, but a lot happened in 1530, which I think, because it's also the uh, conclusion to season one of the Tudors, so, uh, Woolsey's actually arrested by Anne's former uh, ex-fiancé, uh, Henry Percy, after being arrested for plotting along with Catherine of Aragon and the Pope to force Anne into exile, and he, well, he, well, that's what's alleged. He's proven to have been talking to the emperor, which is not a good look if you are in disgrace, and probably Wolsey should have been tending to his clerical duties, but he really wanted back in the center of power again, and so he tried to ally with Catherine, and he, he tried, and, and let's just say it didn't work out for him, and he dies on the road to be, to uh, probably a gruesome death. He would have probably died a gruesome death because he was born a commoner, but fortunately for him, he died of dysentery on the way there, which is not fortunate for him, of course, but, you know. But it's, it's better than the the, yeah. very, the commonplace hanging, drawing, and quartering, yep. so, you know, if it's dysentery, you know, not too bad. Yeah, so the next year, February 1531, Henry manages to persuade Parliament into recognizing him as supreme head of the Church of England. Unfortunately, they have to, they insist on inserting the restraining clause as far as the law of Christ allows, which means it's not that useful. Henry later... What would that actually entail? Uh, probably the just same position. They, they decide, they get to decide how much is too far. Yeah, I guess. So... Henry, Henry, yeah. Henry then summons the clergy to Westminster. Summoned the clergy to Westminster, where he basically was like, "Who subjects are you, the popes or mine?" And so he, uh, and so late, and so those, and so later that year, they uh, sub, not later that year, later the next year in fifteen thirty two, they submitted to him, basically being like, "Okay, fine. All the church decrees that we make in England need your royal consent," which meant that basically they were an arm of the state now in cruder terms, uh. And so it was in June 1530, but that was a year in the future. So in June 1531, Henry decides to make the decisive break from Catherine by riding off with Anne uh, from the palace, and he just never sees her again. And she is ordered to go to the moor, and Mary is ordered to Richmond, and they they never see each other again. What the kids refer to as leaving someone on red. (laughs) And so... At Christmas that year, Anne actually occupies the Queen's lodgings, but people actually, she's making a lot of enemies. She's made an enemy due to her fiery temper. She's made an enemy of her uncle, the Duke of Norfolk, who is a notorious wife-beater, and who says that he doesn't like his niece's t- tongue. And, uh... She, feel like if you have to say that, you probably do. Yeah. And she actually gives him, and, and, and I know, like, I... I know what happened to Anne wasn't predetermined, but the more you look at her life, the more, you know, red flags there are. She gives to Henry as a Christmas gift a, a set of bis- of Spanish boar spears. I fe- I didn't realize it up until I said it, but I think that there's a message in there about Catherine of Aragon and what she wants to do to her, and I... She's a fat pig, and I hope you kill her. <laughs> I don't think she was that mean, but, it, like... It, it, you have to read between oh, the lines, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm but... sorry, I'm sorry, it wasn't Spanish. I forgot where Biscay was. It was Biscay and Boar Spears. Biscay, I believe, is in France, so... She might have been just expressing her support for France, because... Okay. I yeah. thought you said, like, Basque. Okay, yeah, no, sorry, that's my fault for not knowing geography. I don't think she was calling his ex-wife a fat pig, but... Yeah, so, Thomas Cromwell... So, so Cromwell... 
so, so now that Wolsey's gone, his former servant, Cromwell, Thomas Cromwell, uh, the son of a blacksmith who's risen through the ranks from mercenary to lawyer to now one of Henry's top advisors, is busy pressuring the church into uh, submitting to Henry. So, as I said, May 1532, the clergy submits. And the next day, Tom... Is pressuring them basically just doing mafia-style shakedowns? I... I hope that's what I'm thinking, right? Like, he just comes there and then, uh, look, uh, there's guards outside, so, uh, sign this. (laughs) So, I I don't think it was that blatant, but yeah, they, they were, they, they were threatened with royal displeasure, which was not a good thing. So the next day, Thomas More resigns as Lord Chancellor, seeing and, and is like, okay, fine, I won't say anything against the divorce. I'm just going to retire to to live in my house, and hopefully you won't come for me. Uh, spoiler alert, they did come for him. Um, so, Henry, so Henry is planning a meeting with Francis I of France to support uh, his uh, divorce, which is going to be happening soon. And Anne, who is now 31 is uh wow this really took up a long time it did i'm skimming over because a lot of it was genuinely uneventful for her she was waiting and that waiting did take a toll on her she became increasingly you know maybe if he they she didn't have to wait all that long they could have gotten a son but that's neither here nor there yeah and Anne had during the waiting actually become very uh tempestuous and sort of shrewish in Christmas 1530, she had her servants wear a motto, a mo- wear her new motto, Ainsi seha, groinique groinique. Let them grumble. That's how it's going to be in French. God, that's a raw line. She took it off after a few weeks after someone after it was after people started making fun of it because it was it was similar to the emperor's motto, uh, like long live Burgundy or something. I don't. To be fair, it well, is, that's how it's going. It is to be. a bit catty of a line for someone who doesn't want their head to be chopped off. A few weeks late, like, yeah. A few weeks later, peasants. she actually uh, said to one of the. She actually said to one of uh, the queen Catherine's ladies in waiting. Uh, I wish all of the Spaniards were at the at the bottom of the sea. And when the the lady said, you should not say that for the queen's honor. She said, I care nothing for the queen. I would rather see her hung than acknowledge her as my um, mistress. She she is playing it a bit fast and loose here, I'm not gonna lie. I think we could do with a bit more like, safety on these statements. I I don't know. Yeah, but... A little risky, considering you're not queen yet. Yeah, but Anne, to be fair, does seem to have Henry in her her grasp, and, 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 and that's... As people see it, it seems that Anne has genuinely fallen for Henry at this time and or convinced herself that this is what God wants of her. Uh, because after all, you know, she wow, she's attracted the king. And even if she... And I think we need to examine her motivation here for why she would want to sort of... We see it as scheming. I don't see it as scheming. Noble women at this time were brought up to make the best marriage they could. And if the king takes an interest in you and you say no... And he says, okay, what if you become my queen instead? You're going to be incredibly stupid to pass up that offer. I will say this. if you don't agree with it, your parents are going to get mad at you. Oh, my God. They just come home and crucify you. In all fairness, Anne's father, Thomas, didn't is not was not the pimp he is often portrayed as in pop culture. He does seem initially to have opposed Anne's marriage to the king simply because he didn't think it would happen. But once he was assured it would happen, he was like, like it, fully on board. You know, if, it, if it's there, you might as well take it. Yeah. So, and so so with that sort of detour out of the way, September 1, 1532, 
to make her ready for presentation to King Francis as his future queen, Henry made Anne Boleyn at Windsor Castle the first Marquess of Pembroke, which was a title he gave her in her own right with a thousand pounds a year as annual support, which was a lot back then. And it is even more right now, and it is so big, I can't even tell you how much that is, but basically she was probably a millionaire, just based off my weird mental calculations. Uh, how much did the uh, average person get? Like a pound a year? It was not a lot, let's say that. So, Less than a pound? Yeah, it, it, probably a pound, I think. I, I, I can't tell Dang, you. that's crazy. So, in October, they sailed to uh, Calais, which is the last English possession in France, and they meet Francis there. And Henry initially meets Francis alone and because because Anne is like, oh, I so want to meet the people I grew up with at the French court. But unfortunately, her mistress, Queen Claude, has died. And in her place is Charles's sister, Eleanor of Austria, who is the current wife of uh, Francis. And Francis doesn't like her. And Henry is like, oh, don't bring her. She, I, I don't like Spanish women. Also, in all fairness, it is basically a business trip, and I don't think now is the time to meet up with your high school besties. And so, I, I don't think she was thinking of that. She did. She was a very political figure, and so Anne finally decides. And Henry finally decides to present Anne in a masquerade with a, seven other women, and they're all dressed in this in these very loose robes of crimson and gold and Anne, you know, takes Francis by the hand and they dance for an hour or so and then he and then she takes off her mask and surprise, it's her and Francis has to pretend not to be shocked and they have a private discussion and we don't know what they talked about. We know they did talk about it something. And it was at this time, November fifteen thirty two, that Anne probably finally slept with Henry because it seems that Henry convinced her that the divorce would be soon because he because the clergy had submitted and so that would mean it's a firm foundation for him to uh basically annul the marriage on his own on his own authority as head of the church of england and it seems they went through some sort of informal like pledging a formal pledging ceremony like sort of a they they promised to marry each other and then they slept with each other which would make it a binding marriage a, a, a legal marriage so this was a secret marriage ceremony. The validity of this marriage is sort of in question, but we do know they probably slept with each other at this time because by December, when they get back to England, Anne realizes that she's pregnant. And Henry has sort of been hesitating on the jump to make um, to make the break with Rome. But Anne is 32 now. Henry is 42. It is now or yeah, never. They really have to do And it. so Anne basically is like, okay, we need to get married. And so January 25, 1533... Anne and Henry have a secret wedding ceremony while he is still married to Catherine, which means it's technically bigamous, but Henry uh, kind of glosses over this. And when the priest is like, Fine. when the priest is like, oh, can I see your uh, permission from the Pope? Because you say you have it. Henry's like, oh, it's coming. Just, just marry us right now. And so, and he's like, I'm not sure how I can do that. And Henry's like, will you dare again say you're king? And so the priest is like, okay. Uh, I like that it. This process has been so drawn out that it's taken us 31 minutes of this episode to get to the marriage. Yeah, so we're so the, uh, unfortunately fortunately for the unfortunately for Anne, this is also the majority of her life. Uh she will not be lasting three. <laughs> she's known tough. as she's known as Anne of the Thousand Days for a reason. So in March, she appears publicly as queen and she uh is proclaimed queen and everyone's ordered to pray for her, which is weird considering Catherine has not been divorced yet. And so people, some people actually walk out of the church and they don't like her. They call her an, 
among other things, the great whore, goggle-eyed whore, whore for a harlot for a living, and one man even shouts, who the devil made Nan Bullen that whore queen? To be fair to them, if you have a queen you really like, and then you just find out that, hey, this woman is queen now, and you have to pray for her, and we haven't divorced the other queen yet, it, it's kind of like, okay, come on. Yeah. To be fair, I would blame Henry more on that, but I guess it's easier to blame the woman than the guy who's gonna get your head chopped off. So in May 1531, so it takes him four months to get the paperwork together, but in May 1531, Thomas Cranmer, Anne's former chap family chaplain, now the Archbishop of Canterbury since the old one died, uh, says, declares that Henry's marriage to Catherine is invalid and null and void, and a few days later he's like, okay, you, Henry and Anne's marriage is valid, which is just in time for the coronation actually. So Anne takes as her motto, the most happy, and her symbol is a white falcon, perched on a tree stump with a flower growing out of it, and the falcon has a scepter in its hand, and it's crowned, so it's a, you know, you, some of the uncharitable people might be like, oh, falcons are birds of prey, and Anne was, you know, vicious and stuff. I don't see it as that. I think she was, she, she was ambitious, sure, but she wasn't, she had her nasty moments, but she wasn't, like, evil. So, there, in June 1, 1533, Anne is crowned Queen of England, the happiest moment of her life, as far as we can tell, and she was six months pregnant at this time, and there had been three prior days of celebration, and there were pageants, and she was dressed in white cloth of tissue when she rode through the city the, the day before, and there were, and one of the people in those pageants said, Queen Anne, when you bear a new son of the king's blood, there shall be a golden age unto thy people. Now, oh, man. would this be a son? She would have to wait a few more months. And so Anne was crowned Queen of England, and uh, so that summer, Anne took to her rooms to sort of await the birth of her child, but not before she and Henry had a fight, because she seems to have found out that Henry was being unfaithful towards her uh, for the first time in their relationship, which had now lasted for six years or so, and when she confronted Henry, she told her to shut your eyes and endure just like others worthier than you. You ought to know that I can humiliate you in any... At, in only in only a moment longer than I have raised you. Sorry, I had to read wow, that. Wow, that was a very that was very quick after this happened. In all fairness though, the Imperial Ambassador Shapuis, who was Anne's enemy, so he had a reason to exaggerate it, said that it's just a lover's quarrel and we should probably and it seems that Anne and Henry did go through cycles of passionate fights and passionate reconciliations but also in the same toxic couple yeah i some people may think that oh this is just a normal relationship he does end up beheading her in the end so i'm i, I do think this is sort of a toxic relationship that Anne should have probably never been in in the first place but you know if she had had a son you know but she would have still been unhappy you know so many so many givens. So, September 7, 1533, Anne gives birth to a healthy child. The problem is, it's a girl. And so, it's the girl is named Elizabeth. But Henry is not too worried about this because Anne is 32. This is, It's a healthy child. And surely they'll have a son next time. He doesn't say this like he did with Mary because that would be too on the Although nose. Although I but... can only help but wonder, you know, uh, if we they got married a little earlier, they could have... Um, oh, yeah, no, definitely. Had, like, a, a couple more shots at least. Come on, she's 32. The window is closing. And so, in December that year, she announces that she's pregnant again. Uh, or at least she seems... She, she, she's, she says to Henry she's pregnant again. Uh, for reasons I'll say, because I'll, I'll expound on later on, because this pregnancy doesn't end well. And so February 1534, uh, 
parliament enacts this act that says bishops will be selected by the king. And so later that year, they also pass the act of succession, which names Elizabeth as the as the tr- and, and Anne's other children, who she'll have as the only heirs to the throne, Mary's illegitimate now. And they also pass the Act of Supremacy, which uh, has which says that Henry is the only the head of the Church of England on earth, and that the Pope is just the Bishop of Rome, and that anyone who swears allegiance to the Pope over Henry is guilty of high treason. And each of these acts has an oath that goes along with them, and with the Act. And I'll, we'll get into what happens with the Act of Supremacy later uh, in 1535. So, in... Well, actually, no. Let's do it right now. So, Thomas More and John Fisher, Bishop John Fisher of Rochester, are both asked whether they'll swear to the, uh, to the Act... Uh, to the Oath of Supremacy that accompanies the Act of Supremacy. And John Fisher and Thomas More have been, have been very keen defenders of Catherine of Aragon. And so they say... No, we won't. The Pope is the head of the church everywhere. And so they are in prison in the Tower of London. And unfortunately, around this time uh, in the summer of 1534, Anne seems to have suffered a miscarriage or a stillbirth of some sort. We don't know what, because all we know is that she was pre- she was reported as being pregnant one month. And then the next month, there's no more reports. So it seemed, or maybe it was a false pregnancy. She's, whatever it was, Anne was no longer pregnant, and Henry w- began cheating on her again with someone who was very favorable to Mary, so this made Anne very paranoid, and as I said in the last episode, she was very antagonistic towards Mary, uh, and that, and, and when she, and so in the fall of 1534, Anne found out that her sister Mary, who is now 35, had married someone a decade younger than her, who was not even a nobleman, he was a gentleman soldier, in the garrison at Calais named William Stafford. Anne and her parents were so furious at this that they cut off her allowance and sent her, banished her from court in disgrace, which possibly stood her in good stead, as Mary did was the only one of the siblings to survive past the year 1536, so. You know, I can only think in hindsight that maybe she would have wanted to keep her around a little bit, considering She's, like, one of her few people she could probably yeah. trust on for support. She did have some female friends. She had a Thomas White's sister, Margaret Wyatt, Lady Lee. She had her cousin, Mad Shelton. She had uh, she, she had uh, Lady Worcester, Lady, Lady Rochford, although Lady Worcester would later go on to be in bed, you know. Uh, so, Anne's position is looking a bit insecure. So, she wants... So, without a son, she's trying to get Elizabeth married off to the King of France's son. And so... In December 1530, December 1534, the Admiral of France, uh, P- Admiral Chabot, visits the English court, and she uh, tries to negotiate this, but he's kind of, uh, the King of France is kind of hedging his bets here, and Anne actually is so str- under, her nerves are so strained that she actually nearly causes an incident by laughing at the Admiral during a banquet, and he's like, well, why are you laughing at me? And she's like, oh, I couldn't help but laugh because the king said he was going to get your secretary, but on the way to seeing her, he uh, found he he saw this pretty lady and was and uh, forgot the whole thing. And she, she, I don't really get. She's very insecure about her position. I I think I would have just said nothing. I thought about something funny, or I was just coughing. 
Anne's. I wasn't trying to make up this whole story that I can't oh, it's follow a, up on. Oh no, no, it, it oh it seems to have been real, which I think it speaks to Anne's insecurity because you know she's risen she's from clearly a lady re- in waiting. She's too. clearly bringing up things that no one else would be able to prove or disprove. And so, it, that same that same month, Anne's dog Perkoy seems to have died by falling out of a window, and Anne is incredibly distraught at this. And now would be a good time to segue to her religion, because she does seem to have derived a lot of strength from it. So Anne was an evangelical. She believed in reform and a vernacular Bible, but she was not a full-blown Protestant. She was probably what you'd call a Vatican II Catholic. That Because we've changed so much since the 1500s that, frankly, I think that the comparison is apt. She influenced the, except for the whole, you know, king is head of the church thing. She influenced the appointment of reformist bishops. She assisted reformist refugees she ran a very well-behaved household uh she gave every one of her ladies an english version of the psalms uh she sponsored poor students to go to oxford and cambridge and i find this very heartwarming because she is she really is a bestie she owned a copy of william tyndale's translation of the new testament even after he dissed her and was like don't marry her to henry which i think is kind of neat on her part and she was interested in poor relief legislation and gave away a million dollars per year. And she actually helped a poor man once who lost all his cows, as one example. And she actually gave his wife a purse of gold and was like, you know, if you need help, uh, tell my uh, staff and and I'll help you. So she was a very kind-hearted person. Uh, and I think that this is often look, overlooked with Anne. So in 1535, Henry decides that... Thomas More and John Fisher cannot stand any lo- cannot stand on the, upon this earth any longer. So he has them beheaded for treason because they won't swear to him as head of the church. Uh, and yeah, even though Bishop Fisher has been made a cardinal by the Pope, which just makes Henry even matter. Uh, so in fi- so like later so like so so in September fifteen thirty five, Elizabeth is two. Henry and Anne go on a royal progress, and they vi- and, um, and among the houses they visit is a place in Wiltshire known as Wolf Hall, and there, and they, and the family there, the Seymours, their daughter Jane is like twenty six by this point, and or twenty seven, and she hasn't been married yet, and she served as a lady in waiting to Catherine of Aragon, and now she's a lady in waiting to Anne Boleyn, and Henry seems to have taken an interest in her, possibly not yet, but he does notice her, uh. And but once they return to court in like London in Windsor in October, Anne is pregnant again, and so Catherine is dying by this point, as we said in the last episode. And on January seventh, fifteen thirty six, Catherine of Aragon dies. Anne is very happy about this. She gives a a uh, she gives a extravagant gift to the messenger, but later, you know, she she actually cries later on because she thinks that oh. What's to stop Henry from disposing of me like he did with Catherine if this one isn't a boy? That's what Chapuis says, at least, although he's kind of skeptical of their report. So the following day after Catherine dies, when they hear the report, Henry and Anne dress in yellow, and they bring Elizabeth to court, and they sort of parade her around, and there's jousts and feasts and parties. A little rude. Yeah. And so January 24, 1536, and I'm sorry with all the dates, but Henry's, Henry's at the jousts, and he... And, but he falls from his horse, and he's knocked unconscious for a significant period of time. Like an hour. Probably not an hour, although it was long enough that people were worried, and Anne was told that he was dead, which seems to have worried her a lot. That, that seems a little foolhardy to say that. 
Yeah, so... I feel like people have come back from worse. Henry did come back from it, for what it's worth, although a few days later he was reported as having said that he was seduced and forced into the second marriage by means of sorcery and charms, which is not a good look for Anne, but once again, as long as she had a son, everything would be good for her. Uh, unfortunately, she would not have a son, because on January 29, 1536, she had a, she suffered a miscarriage, and it, the fetus was about three and a half months gestation, and it was determined to be a boy. And Henry... And Henry storms into her room, and he's so mad and so distraught, although probably not as distraught as Anne is, and Anne, and Henry yells at her that he will have no more boys by her, or, according to another report, says, I see clearly that God does not wish to give me any more male children. And so Anne responds by saying, it's not my fault, it's your fault, because the love I bear for you was greater than Catherine's. My heart broke when I saw that you loved oh, others. I- no, no, I, she says she says the Catherine part probably because Catherine could look away and she could, like, deal with his adulteries and stuff. But Anne is very much a, you, why are you cheating on me? You promised to be faithful towards me. She's a very confrontational I, person. I know she, this is hard for her and she did just miscarry a child. But in hindsight, um, telling the king it's his fault was probably not the smartest move it's, to it's ma- not. maintain the marriage. And, Can't uh, blame her, though. yeah. I mean, go, go queen, yeah. So, Henry, following the miscarriage, starts taking a greater interest in Jane Seymour, and he actually offers her a, to, to, to become his mistress, but, you know, Jane goes on her knees and does the old Anne Boleyn thing, and she seems to say, and I'll talk about this later in the Jane Seymour episode next week, uh, that, oh, I'm waiting for my husband, and so Henry's, uh, to, to give myself up to my husband, and Henry's like, hmm, and so Jane does seem to have been, like, a genuinely, like, modest person, so th- she ha- that's possible, I don't want to think the worst of her, but, like, anything that you say about Jane all- should also apply to Anne, because they're kind of in the same situation here, so, uh, Anne is kind of, Henry ha- is kind of displeased at Anne because she's had three pregnancies so far and none of them have provided him with a healthy boy. However, there's nothing... And like the one time it was a boy, it was three months in and died. Yeah, so there's nothing so far saying that he'll get rid of her. However, Henry's minister, Cromwell, Thomas Cromwell, has fallen out with Anne over the monasteries because he wants... They- Henry wants them gone. And Cromwell... And Henry and Cromwell both want the funds from the monasteries to go to the treasury, while Anne wants them used for charitable purposes in establishing schools and hospitals. And so, Cromwell, and and so, Crom, and so Cromwell decides that it's either going to be him or Anne whispering to the king's ear and getting his, and influencing him. And he decides it's going to be him who's doing that, which means Anne needs to go. So he manages to seize on Anne. So around April twenty, Henry could, Cromwell convinces Henry to investigate Anne, uh, because probably using her uh, her flirtation with men as the gateway to this. And again, this is a very disputed topic: how Anne Boleyn fell. But this is my recreation of it, my reconstruction. So Cromwell, over the next few days, fabricates details and which are not how hel- and, and 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 draws up commissions for tr- for. Uh, commissions to investigate treason and all the while henry's calling Anne his entirely beloved wife and announcing oh it looks like god will give us a son soon although he doesn't mention by whom so that's kind of chilling uh bum, bum, bum. 
But Anne doesn't help things by engaging in dangerous conversations. One of them is with a musician named Mark Smeaton, and Mark Smeaton seems to have had a crush on her, and when she decides to try and flirt with Anne, Anne shuts him down real quick, and she says, You may not look to have me speak to you as I should do to a nobleman, because you be an inferior person. And he says, Oh no, that's fine, goodbye. Classist much, Anne? But mm. Cromwell spins this into a sort of look at how look at how Smeaton thought he could flirt with the queen. This means they're on familiar terms, and this means Anne was cheating on the king with him. And a more dangerous conversation is with a courtier named Henry Norris, who and Anne or and Anne teases him a bit at first, and this is towards the end of April, fifteen thirty-six, and she says, uh, "Why haven't you married my cousin Mad Shelton yet?" And he's like, "Oh, I would tarry a time." And she says. No, I know the truth. You look for dead men's shoes, because if anything happened to the king but good, you would look to have me. And Anne has spoken of the king's death here, which is only a skip and a jump away from from wishing for the king's death, which is treason under the 1534 Treasons Act. And so Anne panic. She realizes her mistake, and she orders Snorris to swear to her chaplain that she's a good woman. Uh, but Henry, but Cromwell tells Henry all about, seems to have told Henry all about this, and so... Henry is furious, and so the next day, April 30, 1536, Anne gathers Elizabeth in her arms, and she begs Henry, who is looking out of a window, into the courtyard where Anne is, to, like, please not divorce her, and she'll hear her out, but Henry is furious, and he just refuses to listen to her, and the trip for France, which they were planning uh, in in the month of May, 1536, in order to uh, talk with Francis again, is abruptly cancelled, and so... Mark Smeaton at this time is also detained at Cromwell's house, and after 24 hours of intense questioning, he confesses to having slept with Anne. And uh, by questioning, we mean... Uh, probably torture. He was a commoner. They could torture him, uh, as long as they had the king's you approval. Think this took place at uh, Cromwell's house? Yeah. You think he has a rack there? <laughs> like, I, I'm just, like, I thinking think about so the fact that it's in his house, and, like, because normally you torture someone in, like, a dungeon or whatever. I'm yeah. just imagining him, like, well, I don't feel like moving. It's worth the investment to purchase a rack and put it in my yeah. house. So, on May, on May 1st, 1536, Anne and Henry are at a joust when he suddenly rides off and leaves her standing there. And she never sees him again. And the next day, she's arrested uh, by her uncle, the Duke of Norfolk, who hates her, and two other men, counselors. And she's charged with committing adultery with three men. They haven't finalized the number of how many they're going to falsely accuse her with. And so she's taken, she's no, given no time to pack or say goodbye to Elizabeth. She is taken instead after lunch in a barge in full daylight of everyone. So everyone's on the riverbank to the tower. And by the time she... there was a crowd of people watching like they knew what was going to happen or... Uh, I mean, no queen had ever been sent to the tower before. So that was a bad sign for her. And so Anne has to put up with uh, sort of this jeering by her uncle who's taunting her all the while. And so by the time she arrives at the tower, she's at her breaking point. And she actually says, shall I go into a dungeon, Mr. Kingston? And when she's told no, she would be staying in the same apartment she did before her coronation. She falls onto her knees and she starts weeping. And she says, it is too good for me. Jesus, have mercy on me. And then she starts laughing hysterically. And Anne has this sort of... Uh, his sort of hysterical attitude during her time in the tower at first. She's, uh, she asks where her brother, her sweet brother is. She swears that she is f as free from the company of man 
as she is from sleeping with the constable. She says, oh, my mother, thou wilt die of sorrow. She bemoans how cruelly she was handled and how she hates the ladies who Henry has chosen to be with her. She says, and then she sometimes turns to heaven and she says, I shall be in heaven for I have done many good deeds in my days. And so by sometime between May 2 when she was arrested and May 12, uh, Anne seems to have learned that she was accused of adultery, incest, and treason. Adultery with five men, including her own brothers, so that's the incest charge, and high treason, plotting to kill the king. And so May 12, the four men, aside from her brother, so that's Henry Norris, William Brereton, Francis Weston, and Mark Smeaton, are all condemned to death. They are found guilty and condemned to death on the charges. Her father is at their trial. He, too, proclaims them guilty, essentially condemning him, his, his, his Anne, and George to death by proxy. That is, I know he had to do it, sort of, but, like, that's also just horrible, and, like, and I know he couldn't have done anything, but also, that's just so cruel. Shame on you, Thomas Boleyn, for not taking a stand, I guess. You- What, what can he- He's gonna die. He disowned- He disowned his- He disowned Mary. He had no children left anyway. He wasn't going to get a son at this point. Well, yeah, but he could at least save his own life. That's so cowardly. Anyway. Oh, really? So, so May 15, 1536, Anne and George are tried, and Anne actually, uh, the, a few days before, had written a letter to Henry, and it's a very, uh, it's a very, it's a very sad one, and she says, uh, my, and, and she says, oh, uh, you, don't, pl- never prince had wife more loyal in all duty and in all true affection than you have found in Anne Boleyn, with which name and place could I could have willingly contented myself as if God in your grace's pleasure had been so pleased. She also says in there, oh, please, if you want to kill me, spare the other men. But Henry doesn't listen to her plea. So May 15, 1536, she is tried by a jury of 23 nobles of her peers. And Anne defends herself well on all the charges, especially considering she's not given a lawyer. Unfortunately for her, uh, it's a bit of an uphill battle. There are no See, witnesses in treason trials. She does not get a lawyer, and uh, this is my favorite detail. Uh, so they describe the dates when she uh, when she cheated on Henry with these yeah. five other men. And among the dates are various, uh, diverse, diverse other, other times. times and places. Which just means anywhere, anytime, anytime I want to claim you did, and I don't have to be specific. You can't deny every... You don't have an alibi for every waking moment. You, you, you see how this is a bit of an uh, unwinnable situation for Anne. Yeah. So, George is also tried, and he looks like he's go- about to get away with it, but he then decides to seal his own fate and join his sister in death by basically... By reading out a statement they gave, a paper they give him, where and they're like, oh, do you recognize this quote? And what he reads out is Anne telling her sister-in-law, Jane Boleyn, that... The king has neither the skill nor the virility. He cannot satisfy a woman. And because he said it... Yeah, no, everyone at that point is just so shocked he would say that that they all immediately... Okay, did he literally pull a guilty party says what trick? No, no, he... This is like comical levels of, like, trickery. So Anne is found guilty, and she says... uh, she, She makes this short speech that says... I do not say I have always borne towards the king the humility which he which I owed him, considering the great love and honor to which he has given me. I confess to you that I have been jealous of him. I have had jealous fancies, but God knows and is my witness. I have not sinned against him in any other way. And so the next day, the Cranmer, the Archbishop of Canterbury, sent to Anne to get her to agree to an annulment, and she does agree, thinking that she's going to be spared, but you know she isn't. Uh, which may and the next day. 
Anne's marriage to Henry is declared null and void, and Elizabeth is declared a bastard, meaning that Anne basic Anne has been stripped of everything. And and that same day she is stripped of her brother because her brother and the four other men are executed on Tower Green, uh, on Tower Hill. Isn't it like right outside her like uh, window? Too? It is. It is. It is possible that she saw them be executed. It is not entirely certain, but it is possible. Uh, so Anne has now been stripped of her marriage, her crown, her because she's no longer Queen of England. Her her daughter and her brother and all of her friends. And so the next day she thinks she's going to die. The next day, but it turns out she isn't. And she actually says, she actually, the next day, uh, says her final confession, and she swears on the damnation of her soul that she has never been unfaithful to the king. And when she hears that the execution has been postponed, she says to the constable of the tower, Master Kingston, I hear I shall not die before noon, and I am very sorry, therefore, for I thought to be dead by this time and pass my pain. And when he says, said, don't worry, the executioner will be very quick, she said, I have heard say the executioner was very good. And I have a little neck. And then she put her hands about her throat and started laughing. The next day, May 19, 1536, Anne Boleyn left the royal apartments of the tower and set off on her final short walk. She was dressed in a robe of dark gray damask with a crimson petticoat, with an ermine cape flowing from her shoulders and her dark hair concealed beneath a gable hood. Around the scaffold stood a crowd of a thousand spectators, including the Lord Mayor of London, the Lord Chancellor, the Dukes of Suffolk and Richmond, and Thomas Cromwell. As Anne walked, she gave out 20 pounds in alms to the poor, around $17,000 in today's money. She kept looking behind her. Was she even now hoping for a last-minute pardon? If so, it was in vain. Observers remarked in her goodly smiling countenance, and it seems that Anne was, in fact, incredibly courageous, and hiding the fear she surely on some level felt. When Anne ascended the scaffold, she, she said her final speech. She was said to speak with a quote-unquote voice somewhat overcome with weakness, but which gathered strength as she went on. She said, Good Christian people, I am come hither to die, for according to the law and by the law I am judged to die, and therefore I will speak nothing against it. I am come hither to accuse no man, nor to speak anything of that whereof I am accused and condemned to die. But I pray God to save the king and send him long reign over you. For a gentler nor a more merciful prince was there never, and to me he was ever a good, a gentle, and a sovereign lord. And if any person will meddle of my cause, I require them to judge the best. And thus I take my leave of the world and of you all, and I heartily desire you all to pray for me. O Lord, have mercy on me. To God, I commend my soul. The majority of the crowd is now in tears, and Anne's ladies moved forward and removed her cape while Anne removed her hood and tucked her hair under a white coif. The executioner then knelt and asked her forgiveness. Anne granted it and knelt. Beheading with a sword took a great deal of courage as the victim had to kneel upright and not sway in case the sword missed its aim. Despite her outward calm, though, Anne kept looking around, worried he'd strike before she was ready. Her ladies, now sobbing, blindfolded Anne, who kept praying, Jesus, receive my soul. O Lord, God, have pity on my soul. To Christ, I commend my soul. Anne vainly tried to sense where her death was coming from, despite her no longer being able to see. So she kept turning her head towards any noise made. Seeing this, the executioner shouted, Bring me my sword. As Anne turned her head towards the noise, the executioner grabbed his sword from his heap of straw and cut off her head cleanly. When her head fell, one of her ladies threw a white cloth over it. But not before eyewitnesses reported they saw her lips moving and her eyes moving, a reflex reaction of her dying nervous system. As cannons roared to announce Anne's death, her ladies, sobbing woefully, took her head and body to the chapel of St. Peter of Vincula in the tower. No coffin had been prepared, so they had to wrap her body in a white cloth and put it together with the head in an arrow chest. In the happier times of 1531, Henry had reminded Anne of how much she owed him, as she had made many enemies. She replied, That matters not, for it is foretold in ancient prophecies that at this time a queen of England shall be burned. But even if I were to suffer a thousand deaths, my love for you will not abate one jot. I'm not sure whether Anne's death for love for Henry could withstand the horror of her final days. 
She had risen through the charm and her charm, intelligence, and courage from a knight's daughter to Queen of England, only for her egotistic and greedy and abusive husband to strip her of all she held dear when she could not give him a son. Few women in English history have risen so fast, made such an impact, yet fallen so dr dramatically. So next week, we're going to be covering Jane C of Seymour and Anne of Cleves in a, sing in a single episode, uh, because there's not a lot of information on them. So final thoughts on Anne Boleyn. You have like 20 seconds. Go. Um, probably the most interesting and nuanced of all the wives. Probably the best. That's probably why she's the most covered in media. She deserved better. Her. She deserves so much better. I love her so much, honestly. This is the Anne Boleyn stand in me, but like, I love you, Queen. I hope you're out there, and I hope I did you justice here. So, peace out, and next time we're doing a two-for-one deal. Peace.